Could have been a bit aggressive, that move. The pen, sorry about that. Um, let's pray. That is our prayer, Lord Jesus. Please, please open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you, Lord, and open our hearts to receive you. Please, uh, Lord, just don't leave us where we're at with you at the moment. Please don't leave us comfortable. Please move us and change us. uh, That your kingdom may grow and expand. That knees may bow and find love and salvation in Jesus' name. Have your way, we pray now. Amen. Um, Look at Proverbs. Proverbs is really, really tough. Um, Just been in in preparing this, uh, God's just been really humbling me about His Word and about what you can dig and discover and find in it. Um, don't ever think you know it all, especially where Proverbs is. <laughs> I've got it. Um, Proverbs chapter 1. This is verses uh, 1 to 7. It's called the prologue, you know, the thing that's going to precede everything else and set it all up, purpose and theme. First one. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Well, it's uh, Mission Month. It's all about looking outward, helping people. Understand that Jesus is king and saviour over this world. And that people need to put their faith in him for their forgiveness. And they just need to submit their whole life to the authority of Jesus Christ, the king. The stuff we heard about GIA, what crazy people like those guys are doing in another country. Next week, we're going to hear from Marcus Hutchins about the crazy thing he's doing. Six months with GIA, training and equipping and going overseas. It's fantastic and brilliant that such people have this kind of courage and we can get fully behind them. But mission is more than just overseas. It's more than overseas. Overseas is brilliant. Let's back it. But its mission starts in our own backyard. And the amazing people Jesus has chosen to continue this mission to intentionally, to 
proactively with urgency to help people find freedom for eternity, the people are those themselves who have actually found freedom in Christ, freedom and life in Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and your faith is in Jesus, this is your mission. Helping people find freedom and life in Jesus Christ. I wonder, how are you going in this? How are you going in living your life for God, helping people find Jesus Christ, joining Jesus' mission in this community around us? You might be going great guns, um, storming ahead, making sure that everyone you know is getting to know Jesus somehow by your life and by your speech and the, the words you're sharing about the gospel. Or you might be not going that great and maybe all in between. See, something could be holding you back. I wonder what that something is that's holding you back. Tonight and next Sunday night, um, we're looking at Proverbs, just the first little bit of Proverbs. And the book is full of wisdom, full of so much wisdom, and we are not even going to skim the surface. It's full of so much good, practical wisdom that will help us in many aspects of our lives, in really practical ways. But I reckon as we come to think about our part in joining Jesus' mission on the earth, the wisdom in Proverbs can seriously help us. Proverbs can help you overcome whatever obstacles lie in your path that prevent you from being fully utilised by God in this mission. Proverbs can help you become a person that God uses to change lives for eternity. He can use you and he wants to use you. And then Proverbs, not only just for you, but Proverbs can help us as a community become all that God wants us to be so that people would meet Jesus Christ. These are first seven verses. They're full of wisdom um, to help us out. So what we're going to do is we're going to dig. We're going to dig in. So keep your Bibles open and we're going to work through it. Verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Let's get a bit of context for what's going on here. The author of the book um, is what's going on here. The author of the book of Proverbs is King Solomon. And uh, not all the Proverbs are by King Solomon. There are some that are from other people as well. But he's compiled the book. And this is Solomon, the great, uh, uh, the, the, the son of the great King David. And he became heir to the throne at about 860 BC and he reigned for about 40 years. But when Solomon took over the reign of Israel, it's massive, um, Jewish tradition has it that he was about uh, somewhere between 12 and 14 years old and he's been put into the reign of this massive kingdom. And at the beginning of his reign, Solomon has this encounter with God. If you're quick with your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to read about this interaction between Solomon and God. 
I've got a bookmark because I'm slow. This is um, what happens. Started the reign uh, of Israel, succeeded his dad, and now this is what's going on. Meets with God. 1 Kings 3, from verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you are showing great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Solomon, at the beginning of his reign, he asks for wisdom, and God promises wisdom. And God keeps his promise, and Solomon grows greatly in wisdom, and not only in wisdom, but also in great wealth. Later we read that people um, heard about Solomon that lived far, far away, and they would actually travel to hear Solomon and his wisdom. So a queen, a queen, um, the queen of Sheba, hears about Solomon's wisdom and comes with a massive entourage of camels and people carrying gold and spices, and she brings also all these impossible questions that she can't find the answers to, and she brings them. And after she meets with Solomon, and Solomon kind of like gives his advice and his answers, this is what she declares in 1 Kings 10.6. Queen of Sheba said to the king, the, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have ex- far exceeded the report, report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. I think she's sucking up at that point and she wants some of his money. Anyway, um, verse 9, she declares, not a believer of the great God, Yahweh. Praise be to the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Wow, Solomon is a wise, wise man. And the amazing thing is that the wisdom that Solomon has bestowed, um, that God has bestowed upon Solomon, it's available to us today in here. 
wisdom that can help us help us. Sorry about my lisp. <laughs> wisdom that can help us uh, with so much of life, including our mission in following Jesus in this life. Please look with me back at our text for tonight. Solomon continues the introduction, continues his prologue that introduces the rest of the book. And in the next five verses, he basically states the purpose, why he's writing Proverbs, what they're for. So from verse 2, if you look with me at the passage, it says, They are for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for doing what is right, just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Now in that section, in those five verses, there are three main purposes that come out. It's very, very challenging, that verse. Keep studying it, guys. Like You should go and read and be perplexed. Um, but three verses come out. The first one is that Solomon is aiming to impart wisdom and understanding. That's what he wants. He wants people to read it and gain wisdom and understanding. Check out through those verses. Verse 2, for attaining wisdom. And then 2 again, understanding. These words that come up for acquiring a, verse 3, prudent life. And prudence is a really intensely practical wisdom. Verse 4, prudence, knowledge. Verse 5, learning, guidance. There is this great theme of like, I'm writing to you so that you'll get wisdom, that you'll gain understanding. And it's very practical wisdom because when you start trying to pull apart the Hebrew, what you realise is it's not just up here head knowledge. The wisdom being communicated is intensely practical. So it has the sense of um, knowledge plus action. So that's what's being communicated. Every time we see those words, it's about this intensely practical wisdom that you hear it and you do it. Head, to, head knowledge for the sake of head knowledge is not what Proverbs is about. And you also, we also see that um, as you gain this wisdom, one of the effects is your life will begin to be, from verse 3, you'll start to do things that are right and just and fair. So there's this outworking of justice as well. So a successful life in God's sight will not involve forgetting these traits. Living a wise life is a first person, includes getting wisdom and understanding. Now the second purpose that comes out, apart from this intensely practical wisdom that Solomon wants to bestow upon us, um, is this notion that comes out of discipline and correction. It sounds a little bit harsh, but if you look at um, verse 2 there, the one that says discipline, verse 3, discipline, verse uh, 4, discretion. And these words uh, have the sense of be corrected, people. Be disciplined for your rough edges, if you like. So it's kind of like Solomon is saying, I want to impart this great wisdom to you. But then I know that you are just, you know, you've got a lot of issues as well. 
And what I want to do is, as you read this, these proverbs, you're going to be disciplined and corrected. I mean, you're going to be rebuked for your, the ways that you error against God. So it sounds a bit harsh, but it's like Solomon's saying, I want you to be complete. I don't want you just to go, yeah, I've got this great wisdom, but denying my, the areas I need to grow in. So two purposes, imparting wisdom and imparting discipline and correction. And the third purpose is basically who he's writing to. That comes out very clearly as well in this passage. He's writing it and he's very, making it very clear that he's seeking to encourage absolutely everybody in these areas. No one is left out. So, four, um, so the verse is verse 4. It says he's writing it to give prudence to the simple. So if you see yourself as a bit kind of like, not that smart, when it comes to living life, this is for you. But then verse 5 reads, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. So no one is excluded. There's no one that could put their hand up and say, I don't need to read Proverbs and gain wisdom and correction. It doesn't matter if you're simple. It doesn't matter if you're super wise. And then he goes on as well and he, he's, he kind of targets young people in there a bit, you know, that knowledge and discretion to the young. But I don't think it matters what age you are in this kind of mix. Everybody um, is to read Proverbs and gain this intensely practical wisdom and discipline for your rough edges. That's what he's writing it for. So whatever your question is um, today, so going back to the start, like uh, we're talking about you and I living Jesus' mission in the world. Us getting out there, getting our hands dirty and getting involved to help people come to salvation in Jesus. So if your question is, there's something preventing me, I'm not sure what it is or whatever, then there's wisdom available to you to overcome. There really is. If you want it, you can gain it. The next verse in verse 7 kind of becomes this foundational point. So it's almost like he's saying, this is what they're here for, these Proverbs, but if you want to know how to read them, the last bit is what you need to get hold of. So if you think about all the wisdom you need, you know, for the, you know, I need to be able to reach out in my faith more, and all the issues, you know, like it could be a whole lot of different options, there's basically one that it comes down to. And if you can get this piece of wisdom, you're well on your way. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Before Solomon wants us to progress any further, before he wants us to work out some really practical ideas on what to do, he kind of says, hold up. And he gives us this snappy little line that basically says, this is what you've got to do first. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Solomon places this verse in his introduction because it's vitally important to everything that follows. You could read the rest of Proverbs. You could probably read the whole Bible and not understand anything if you fail to miss this point or if you fail to get this point. It's like the pair of glasses that you put on when you can't see. 
and it makes everything crystal clear. This is the principle that gives you sight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, what does it mean? Um, Let's break it down. So the word fear doesn't mean being afraid of or scared of God like every girl is afraid of spiders. Kind of that thing or whatever. Any girls not scared of spiders here? No, I power on. That's good. It's not afraid. The word fear is more like revere. This is revere. This is what you need to do. To reveal or to show reverence in the Macquarie Dictionary, this is what they define it as. It says, to have a feeling or attitude of deep respect combined with a sense of awe of someone's greatness and goodness. So to fear the Lord, therefore, is to have deep respect of God and be in awe at the greatness and goodness of God. Please note that when you truly revere God, then there is, um, it creates in you a response of obedience to God. So you can't truly understand who God is without having this flow-on response of obedience. There's a fellow, a Bible scholar called Atkinson, and he defines the fear of the Lord as being reverential obedience. Fancy term. Um, So it includes this understanding of God for who God truly is. And then this um, associated response of obedience. Now, it's really hard to get our heads around this. Because in our culture, I doubt it if there's anyone that we truly revere and obey. I can't think of anyone. Everyone's a mate. You know, anyone who thinks they're better than us, the Aussie wants to bring them back down a ground level where the rest of us are standing. We haven't got a king um, that we know is endowed with power and might and wisdom that could exalt us, you know, at one side and then kill us with a word. We haven't got anyone like that. We've got Kevin Rudd and John Brumby. I don't revere those guys. If reverential obedience is too difficult for you to get your head around, I think maybe it's more like this. Know God for who God truly is and live for him. Not trying to make it too simplistic, but I think that's it. Like Know God for who God truly is and live in response to that. Well, the second part, that's fear of the Lord. The second part, the beginning of knowledge. It's pretty obvious what it means, but let me just kind of dig in just a little bit. Knowledge uh, is that good practical wisdom, wisdom that we're talking about, you know, that we can do life by. The word beginning, though, translates as, as principle, which I think is kind of key because I think about beginning, and when I read it, it's like it could just be the first step and then you leave it behind. You know what I mean? It could be, oh, that's the beginning to wisdom. It's like, oh, you fear the Lord, yep, done that, and then move on. But it's actually um, principle. It's translated the principal point or the main or the, the major, the most important, the fundamental thing about wisdom. Do you get the difference? So we can understand the verse as meaning to know God and to know God as God who he truly is and live for him is the fundamental principle in obtaining wisdom. 
It's a fundamental prism, principle in obtaining wisdom. So if you don't fear God for who God really is, you'll miss the rest of the wisdom. You won't get it. And it, make, it makes sense, surely. It's putting God in God's rightful place. You know, if God is the one who has created the world and he knows, um, he knows with perfect understanding how the world operates, okay, if that is God, therefore the, the closer a person gets to God and is in relationship with God, the more they'll see the way God sees things. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? If you want to know how creation works, get to know the creator. It's like if some reason you want to know how the company Microsoft, if you want to know how that works, I don't know why I thought of that example, you know, if you're really, really keen at finding out, oh, wow, like, how do they design and make stuff at Microsoft? Or how does the management structure, you know, how do the employees all operate and work together at Microsoft? Like, you're going to go and talk to the creator of it. You're going to talk to Bill Gates. You're going to go to him and kind of understand his thinking. He created it. He knows what's going on. You know, you can only learn so much about Microsoft by looking at the software. You've got to go to the creator. Fearing God, the reverential obedience of God, knowing God and who, who, for who he truly is and living for him is the fundamental principle in obtaining wisdom. So what are the things or the thing that holds you back from living Jesus' mission out in your life? Are you struggling to live out God's mission for you in your life? If the answer is yes, I'll put my hand up for that one too. Ask yourself this question. Do you truly Fear God for who God truly is. Do you revere God? You know, do you stand in awe of this great God that has saved you by the mercy of Jesus Christ? And are you responding because you know that God? Are you responding in obedience to him? Fearing God is honestly the best way of overcoming any problem you'll face while living on this earth. Overcoming any obstacle in following Jesus. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God puts everything into perspective. For example, let's say your problem is that you are offending God through sexual sin. Let's say that's your problem. So you're crossing boundaries with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Or it's pornography. Or it's masturbation. Let me just say that. Those things hinder people. Those things gut the church. They gut it. And we're silent about it. Let's say that's your problem. Because you feel like a hypocrite when it comes to telling people about Jesus Christ. You can't even say anything because you feel the condemnation of Satan in your life. Now, if you don't fear God, so you don't stand in awe of his power and his authority, his holiness, his righteousness, his love, are you going to make any priority 
with God's help to snuff it out? Are you going to cut the sin off if you don't fear God? You're going to steal yourself? You're not. But if you really understand God for who God is, if you truly fear God and you do stand in awe of him, his righteousness and his love, then your knowledge of God is just going to drive you with God's Spirit's help to leave that behind. Do you get what I'm saying? I say it again, it doesn't matter what your problem is. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom, is the beginning of overcoming. So if you're struggling with anger or unforgiveness, if you're struggling with being tight-fisted with your money instead of being generous with your money, if you're struggling with committing to a community, to begin to fear God will be the beginning of wisdom for you. I think one of the biggest problems is that we don't understand who God truly is. We say, God is powerful. God is mighty. God is worthy to be feared and bowed before. God is worthy of us giving our lives to him in worship. But in our sinfulness, in our heart, we relegate friend, uh, God to simply friend status. Or, God forbid it, we see him as someone who is there to run around for us and make sure we're okay. You know, he's the one you call on to make things all right. You ask him to help you out in times of need. In our sinfulness, we somehow believe that God doesn't require obedience from us. He doesn't demand anything from us. As if Romans 6.22, which is, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God as if that doesn't exist. In our sinfulness, we have forgotten, always strayed, from deeply understanding who God is. We have made him less than who he truly is. Can you imagine how proactive, how courageous that you would be in loving people? how bold you would be in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ if you had a deeper awareness of who God is. You wouldn't be worried about reputation or losing a friend. You wouldn't be thinking, oh, he's telling someone about Jesus, my job. You would be filled with concern and love for the person that doesn't know God. We would sell out for the mission of Jesus in the world. But it's because of our sinfulness that we can't see God for who he is. Our sinfulness seems to blind us or distort the picture we have of God. In John chapter 9, Jesus refers to the way that sin blinds us to seeing the truth of God. This means that in order for people to see God for who he truly is and to live a life of obedience, the sin, the cataract, needs to be taken away. The effect of sin needs to be dealt with. Hear these verses. John 3, 17 and 18. 
God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is what Jesus was sent for, to save us from our sin. Indeed, in Romans 4.25 we read, He, that is Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sin and was raised for our justification. Jesus is the only way of having our sin dealt with. And then John 9.39 reads that Jesus says, I have come into this world so that the blind, and he's referring to the spiritually blind, may see. Jesus removes the cataracts, the thing that blinds us, so that we can begin to see God for who God truly is. There is only one way. There is a singular pathway to fearing God, to be able to revere God, to see God, to know God for who he truly is. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. It's by, and hear this, hear this if you don't hear anything else, by submitting your life to Jesus Christ. By submitting your life to Jesus Christ and to make him the appointed king in your life. Jesus Christ offers by his death the only way for you to have your sin dealt with, to be set free from the wrath of God who has got to be poured out on sinful people, to be set free from the fear of death and hell and thereby transporting us into relationship with God. If you want to fear God, if you want to know God for who he is and have that transform your thinking and grant you ability to understand and have wisdom, ask Jesus to forgive you. If you've had him in a box, if you said, this is who you are, Jesus, and you've removed power from God, ask Jesus for forgiveness. Submit to Jesus Christ as king of your life and begin a journey of discovery, of learning to see God for who he truly is. Does that make a bit of sense? I want to conclude Population of Orbi Wodonga. Who knows? Yeah, about that. That's all right. Has anyone got any more precise details? 98,000. 98, well, I'll go with it, mate. That smile it means you're telling the truth. <laughs> Population of Australia? Sorry? 21 million. Yep. Yeah. I've got July 07, it was 20,434,176. World population? Six what? Six billion, yeah, yeah. Six billion, 602 million, 224,175 as of July 2007. That didn't include my baby girl Amelia, so you can add one more to that. Now, Lots of those people know Jesus, but that is the mission of Jesus. We're talking about the king of the world, a reign that one day people are going to go, Jesus is the king. Whether, you know, they're they're going to have to do that. And Jesus wants people to find relationship with him. 
He wants them to get saved. He wants them to be in eternity with him forever. He wants the people in Malawi. He wants the people in this district. He wants your family members. He wants your friends. Jesus wants you to join his mission. He wants this church community together to join the mission. And so us joining the mission starts with each and every one of us putting our faith back into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our rejection against God. And it starts with us submitting our life to the kingship of Jesus. It's through this faith that we begin to understand who God truly is. And that will be the beginning of wisdom and overcoming any obstacle that you need to overcome in order to be more utilised by God. Let's pray. Father, we just want to say that um, we are on a journey. And uh, that journey uh, includes many of us who have not yet put our faith in you, Jesus. So we are yet to understand your fullness, God. And many of us here uh, have strayed from you. Some of us may have strayed from you so that we no longer have uh, the real God in our minds and hearts, but we've kind of removed your power. And some of us, God, are here and we just want to grow. We want to learn more of how great you are. And so, Father, for each and every one of us, Lord Jesus, help us put our faith in you and grant us understanding that we may be aware of who God is, that we may fear God, revere you, be in awe of you for who you are, and join your mission to help other people find salvation. I'm praying in Jesus' name. Amen.